Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the All In Crypto podcast. Today, I am very excited to be joined by Matthew Plumin, the co-founder and founder, I should say, of uh, the Mehen Protocol. And of course, we have Stephen Fisher, the co-founder and chief technical officer of the Mehen Protocol. Mehen is trying to bring the first fiat-backed premium stablecoin to the Cardano ecosystem. And this is an interview that I am nothing sure of excited to be doing. So welcome on board, guys. Thank you very much for coming on. Thanks. It's good to, good to be with you. Yeah, appreciate it. Fantastic. And I always like to start with my guests with a little bit about themselves. So if I can just get a, a brief introduction to um, you guys and how you got here, that would be appreciated. Steve? Sure. Yeah. So for me, I my, my journey in the crypto space started with uh, Ethereum mining. Uh, when they were switching over to proof of stake, I knew I needed something else and looked around at the different ecosystems and ultimately settled on Cardano. I do have a pool. So that was my way of uh, getting involved with the community with my ADA for Warriors pool. And then I met Matt through a couple of the small uh, alliances or small pool alliances. We did a little bit of work together and then... Um, you know, he started stirring up some stuff with Jed <laughs> and then he he got challenged. Uh, he accepted the challenge to create a stable coin. And, uh, you know, from the work that we've done in the past, and, you know, he asked me if I wanted to be involved and I said, yes. And so, you know, it's just been uh, that journey since then. So. Fantastic. And Matthew, a little bit about yeah. yourself. So I've um, worked uh, for my whole career on Wall Street, uh, 15 years doing uh, really money markets, short end, uh, front end, short uh, duration, high quality liquid investing with the asset manager there. Um, I've been working in cash and cash products for a very long time on both the client side and the and the risk side. Work with the portfolio management team to uh, to define you know risk risk acceptable issuers and that kind of thing. So. I'm very familiar with stable value products. I'm very familiar with the, the fiat, uh, the fiat regulatory environment, and so going into this venture seemed like a nice, you know, parallel to my to my uh, my career. Um, I did I did uh, a couple of years ago. I sat down uh, with a friend of mine who's uh, one of now he's one of the core contributors on the uh, the ADAO project, uh, the Summit project. And uh, I asked him about crypto. He's this this friend of mine that's been in my ear the whole time. His name's Adam. He uh, he sat down. And he's like, "What do you think about Filecoin? What do you think about these other things?" He, he's asking me about these coins, and I have no idea. I was just totally off of crypto. And he, he ended up um, I ended up coming back to him and said, "Well, what about tokenizing mutual fund assets? How would you take a mutual fund and turn it into something that you could trade peer to peer? Is that something blockchain could do?" And he said, yeah, then he introduced me to sort of the various protocols, Ethereum, Cardano. Um, we didn't look at a whole lot of the other third-gen blockchains, but when it came to understanding the, you know, the UTXO model, the, the proof-of-stake model at the time, you know, Ethereum wasn't even, it was on the roadmap, but it was one of those things that was perpetually nine months into the future. So nobody ever expected the proof-of-stake uh, proof changeover to happen in, in Ethereum uh, when, we, when we were first looking at it. So the the idea of of launching a uh, a tokenized mutual fund on Cardano was very appealing, and then we ended up 
not being able to do that because various things um, within the law of actual mutual funds. But the idea of doing a stable coin came up, um, you know, and then and people introduced me to the JED protocol. People introduced me to to various other options that that could be happening on Cardano. And after I looked through the JED white paper, I realized that there was some fatal flaws in that whole thing and, and decided that there might be a better way. Started looking at, at the ability of doing fiat-backed stablecoins and really the legal frameworks around USDC or USDT. Um, we decided that the USDC legal framework is a little more sound. And so when we decided to do the stablecoin, we said, well, we'll do it like USDC. We'll go through the US process. We'll get regulated by the various states. We'll register with the federal government for... Um, you know, for, for, for AML purposes, and we'll go through the process and kind of do everything, you know, within the legal frameworks that have been pioneered by the USDC team. Yeah, both excellent backgrounds for the task that you are uh, sort of looking to undertake. And it's nice that you guys are trying to do things the right way. Um, I think that's going to go a long way. And we've seen um, quite a lot of scrutiny when it comes to stable coins, um, so really excited to kind of dive in and 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 see how you guys are looking to facilitate USDM. Uh, and it's very interesting your background in finance. I know I think it's Aberdeen, which is the largest uh, fund manager in the United Kingdom at the moment. They're actually starting to tokenize their money market fund. Um, so this is maybe something for the future. Who knows? Uh, and and maybe Cardano can play a role in the kind of transition that we're going to see with the tokenization of uh, everything. So I'd really like to dive into Mehen, which is, of course, your protocol, and just really start with an overview. It's entirely up to you uh, which one of you wants to take the question. But let me ask you this. What is Mehen looking to do? What is Mehen? It's, you know, broadly speaking, we're, we're building a fiat stablecoin. That's the, the first step. Um, I think broadly, if you want to zoom out a little bit, Mehen will end up doing things that are a little broader than just a fiat-backed stablecoin. So we would like to get into tokenizing real-world assets. We would like to get into being that sort of bridge between the regulated traditional finance world and Cardano um, and really other UTXO-style blockchains. So if it's Emergo or Ergo, or if it's uh, Bitcoin or Dogecoin, if you can go through these different blockchains that, you know, somewhat supporting smart contracts, um, you know, Bitcoin's a little limited, but you can do some things. So we're looking to do first the fiat back stablecoin. Don't want to muddle the message too much. That's really the, the one thing that's on the top of our mind. But as we unfold things a little bit, I think you'll find out that that we have plans to do a whole lot more than just the stablecoin because there are a whole lot of use cases for you know real world asset tokenization that that make Cardano a very good platform for doing that. So that's um, that's really where we are now. What we're doing. Um, Focus first on the stablecoin, and then and then we'll we'll see what comes next. And then take over the world, right? You know, it. it, it oh no! <laughs> it enables the community. Really, it's really about providing the tools that enable the community to build solutions that that really scale Cardano. Because if you try to do everything yourself, you try to take over the world, and you're all kind of grubby <laughs> and, and 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 try to gather everything for yourself. You're definitely going to lose. I mean, you see what you see what happened with uh, who was it? PayPal came up with a, with a kind of silly stablecoin that's not really. <laughs> not really going to be very good. Um, if you're a payments company making a stable coin, your stable coin is probably not going to be very good. If you're a stable coin company doing payments, your, your payment system is probably not going to be very good. So I think we'd like to just kind of stick to our knitting here and be that bridge between the fiat world and the crypto world, but then also 
you know, bring a little more formalization, bring a little more standardization and, and try to, to exhibit best practices in, you know, protecting investor rights and protecting the ability of individuals to operate transparently and not avoid regulation. But uh, maybe we get a seat at the table where we can be part of the process that helps to inform regulators as to how best to talk to our industry. So that's, that's kind of where we're going to end up, I think, after all is said and done. Yeah, I absolutely love that. Um, you know, sort of one step at a time. And I think you, you you touched on sort of being that bridge between the traditional world and the crypto world. And certainly USDM is a, is, is a massive step in that. Uh, if you look at how you kind of transact with um, traditional into crypto, it's such a pain. I mean, it, it's not a easy by any kind of standardized practice process at all. Um, and I'd really love to sort of explore a little bit later on how actually you guys are going to facilitate the kind of fear on ramping and off ramping into the sort of Cardano space through obviously the USD uh, M product. If we can just go back and actually just focus on a little bit of an, uh, an explanation on actually what a fiat backed stablecoin is. Now, it sounds very self explanatory, but there might be some people that aren't crypto native or are new to the space. What actually is a fiat backed stablecoin? The way that I try to describe it to my TradFi friends is they were really just taking a dollar and putting it on a blockchain rail. So right, so I live in the New York area, and a couple of weeks ago, I went to a Mets game. The season's been over for a long time, but uh, the games are still being played despite the result of the season being known. Um, and one of the things when you go to City Field is if you have a stack of cash, you can't spend it at any of the different restaurants or bars or, or or merchandise stores. You have to use a, a credit card or you have to use a, a prepaid card. So they have these machines all over City Field where you can take your cash and put it in and get a card that you can then use at the different vendors. And I said, that's exactly what we're doing. So we're taking cash and we're turning it into something that you can use on these blockchain rails. So you can use it throughout the ecosystem. If you wanted to send payments to somebody in a different country, you could send them USDM. If you wanted to do a dollar-based loan, you know, if I wanted to loan you uh, $100 and you wanted to give me some kind of NFT collateral that I could hold on to, and you, then I could do that loan, you know, not just with ADA, but then also with the USD-based, uh, you know, you know, crypto. And then, then when you do that, you take a lot of the risk out of the system. If you're if you're lending somebody ADA. If you're lending somebody, uh, you know, any kind of crypto native token that's not fiat backed or pegged, then you take on not only the risk of that person defaulting on the loan, but you also take on the risk of the currency that you're using. And sometimes you want that. Sometimes you want to lend and borrow in ADA, but other times you want to lend and borrow in the currency that you spend in your everyday life. So that's that's what a crypto, that's what a fiat backed stablecoin is. It's you give us the dollars, we'll give you the tokens. If you want your dollars back, send them in, send the send the, the tokens in, and we'll give you the dollars back. And so because of that mechanism, it tends to hold a very strong peg. If you look at the different stable coins that are in existence on Ethereum, the ones that have the best peg stability are the ones that you can straight convert right into right into fiat and then back and forth. So that individuals can then arbitrage the peg. If you see that the coin's trading a little high, you could send us some cash, get USDM, and then you know, take advantage of that. Or if you see if the, the token's trading a little low, 
you can buy the token, send it to us, we'll give you the fiat, and you can make the difference in that arbitrage there. So that's how these stablecoins tend to keep their peg pretty steady, but they're also a very useful tool for anybody that wants to conduct life and business on blockchain rails instead of using the traditional uh, banking systems. Yeah, you give a lot more utility um, to the dollars in this case, you know, certainly when it comes to crypto. Uh, and it's going to be nice, you know, I've been in the Cardano uh, ecosystem for a long time, and um, it's going to be nice to have a kind of native premium fiat-backed stablecoin that can be used. Um, I know that we currently don't have USDT, or we may have a wrapped version of USDT and USDC, uh, perhaps. I think some DEXs may offer that. Yeah, we're seeing a little bit coming in. Yeah, but-, but we've already seen issues with the kind of whole wrapped USDT and USDC from other chains. You know, of course, we had what happened with Wing Riders uh, a while ago. Um, but it, it really is something that I'm very excited about. And you, and, and you touch on sort of taking your dollars and, and, and putting them into USDM in this case. Can we examine that process? So I'm a user. I want to take my dollars and I want to convert them into USDM. How do I do that? Yeah, so, so, yeah. yeah I'll take that one. <laughs> yeah. So coming on to the user website, you first, we do have to do uh, the KYC process and there is AML scanning going on and that'll actually constantly be going on in the background, like while uh, you have your account. And um, once you are KYC and everything comes back fine, then we basically will assign you a uh, Cardano address and a, a, a bank. So on, on our side, so kind of like you could think like Coinbase, where like you send money into Coinbase and you have your money in their account and or your crypto in their account and you can send it, you know, in and out to like your uh, custodial wallet, like if you have crypto or sending it out to whatever banks that you have connected. So this will be a lot similar to that. So you will have to uh, go through the process. We, we're using Plaid. So a lot of people have used that before. Um, if you've used Coinbase, you've used it. So we are using that like to connect your uh, your bank, and then for your wallets, it will support just the Web three wallets. So if you have your ledger or anything else like uh, tied to your Eternal, you can connect that into the app, and then that will be how you can export your USDM. And then we also are looking for that for coming in as well, like when you're sending your USDM in. So one of the Topics that we've been talking about is, you know, if a address, let's say your address, your main wallet address receives crypto from an address which isn't associated with any of your wallets, that's going to end up being a flag for us because we do have to be extremely wary of AML issues and other kinds of regulatory issues. So that is something that we're still kind of working through that, what that policy will be, but basically yeah, it's, very, it's just going to be that. Go ahead. It, you it gets very, it's, it's very, if, if you're, if you're only sending the USDM back to back and forth to and from yourself, then that's, that's the cleanest sort of anti-money laundering techniques that you can use. Right. So it, it's, we're sending it to somebody we know we're getting it from somebody we know. So the USDM that comes to us has to come from a wallet that you've registered as yours signed and and that kind of thing so that's so so the off and the on there's a 
technical process for doing that with transaction signing and and um, and wallet registration. But yeah, once you have that have that all done, then then that's what Steve's talking about. Yeah, and I don't yeah. think that you know um, certainly in the United States, regulatory compliance is a must. There's no way of getting around that. Uh, we have seen people try and fail uh, pretty spectacularly, and often at the sort of cost of the users of whatever protocol it may be. Um, so. Just for me to to sort of uh, simplify that right down, we I'm sure we're all familiar with using exchanges and how we get money onto exchanges. It's a very similar process for what you guys are trying to do. Um, of yep. course, you will need to register, complete KYC, AML, these things before you can actually partake. Yep. Once you've done that, you can then deposit your dollars in this case, or are there other, got to ask you, other currencies? Yeah. Or uh, Right now, we're just focusing on the dollar. Right now. Yeah, right now it's the dollar. Um, with Matt can get in this a little bit, but how we're doing our permissions to be able to do these money transfers, we're going state to state in the United States at the moment. And so while you don't have to necessarily live in that state, if you are physically in that state, then you'll be able to do deposits to do the minting and the burning to get that USDM. Otherwise, you know, if you, you know, you're in Australia, in Germany, wherever else, you're using it just in the ecosystem. For right now, until we get those licenses that we need, you wouldn't be able to actually do the minting and burning to get a dollar back to your bank. Uh, Matt can talk about that a little bit more, but that's the other aspect of this whole thing is that geolocation, uh, making sure that we're operating in the boundaries that we're allowed to. Yeah, of course. You know, I, I think you've absolutely got to. Um, so I've now minted my, I've gone through the KYC, I've gone through everything. I've now minted my USDM. I can send that out to whatever wallet I want, or do I need to connect directly into the platform with something like a Lace or Eternal or a Ledger? Yeah, you would have yeah. to, you would have to register like your wallet with us. Um, so Right now, we have it integrated with Web3, and so it's uh, NAMI Eternal. Stop, <laughs> stop to Eternal. Yeah, we got it. And NAMI Eternal Lace. We, yeah, all of all of the browser-enabled wallets that that are available in the ecosystem, we're going to be compatible with. So you you use one of those, um, then you'll have to go through a transaction signing process where you verify that the wallet that you're telling us is the one that you're trying to send to is actually yours. And then we can send you the USDM to that wallet. Once it's in your wallet, then you are able to transfer it just like you would any other Cardano native token. So if you just like, you know, I have Hosky, I send it around to different things, put it in the DEXs, send it to friends, you know, do that kind of thing. But then you can do a similar thing with USDM. It's going to, all Cardano native assets are treated the same way. Yep. So there's this this one is is no different than than the others. Yeah, and and the only thing with that is is obviously the address that you've registered. If you were to then want to redeem your dollars for the USDM that it's uh, pegged to, you would need to use the same wallet that you saw the outflow go to to actually do right. the inflow. Otherwise, it would get uh, flagged. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No. No. That 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 makes sense. I know it's. I mean, again. Crypto is still a very new space. Lots of people are uh, unfamiliar with, with with sort of the process, and and that makes a lot of sense. And certainly something that if I could partake in, unfortunately I'm in the UK, I uh, I definitely ah. would. But once you've 
Um, essentially, taking your USDM out, you can then go and let's say provide liquidity to a DEX, for example. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. And that's how we get into the been, ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, we've been and talking then, to quite a few. Yeah, I really have. And 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 how are you guys? Is there a liquidity strategy at the start? You know, because um, and we've I've certainly seen in my time. Projects look to do a similar-ish thing, slightly different, but the liquidity is just never taken off. How are you guys planning on? Is there a plan for liquidity and providing that initially, or or is that something we can touch on? We've talked with a couple of private investors who support projects in the ecosystem that are willing to mint, you know, in in, in a good scale. I think that you know we ourselves are going to take our own money and, and mint it to, to provide it with the, you know, to the ecosystem. The you know, we'll have a liquidity bootstrapping event on early days that where we will um, partner with DEXs and have those DEXs incentivize liquidity. Um, and so there, there should be some things that you'll see coming out, you know, when we get close to launch, that there will be, you know, try to generate some interest in, in the community to, to participate. Um, we've been going, there's this little bit of a chicken and egg thing. So you need to be able to not only have enough dollars in the system, but you also have enough to have enough users. You either have to have a few large ones that have a lot of money or a lot of little ones that have little money. So then in both cases, you end up getting to a situation where the liquidity kind of spins itself up through a bootstrapping event. And we're hoping to get approval to operate in as wide of a jurisdiction as we can before launch. And then once we're ready, then we go through the process of organizing the sort of institutional liquidity that should be coming and then also the individual liquidity that we hope will be coming from the community. We we're very pleased to, when we got the Catalyst funding, I think we were like the fifth or sixth largest number of vote getters, not just to ADA, but like the number of votes. Because like that's that's really what we cared most about was that the community is is is, is excited and invested in the in the idea and that they'll be able to you know have enough support throughout the ecosystem, not only on the like the on-ramp and off-ramp side, but also then like in the in the broader universe of how it's going to be used. I think the uh, voting on Catalyst definitely showed an appetite for what you guys are bringing. Um, and I, I've got to say, I mean, it, it, weird, I wouldn't call myself a Cardano maxi. I just happen to think that, you know, Cardano is, is one of the better sort of distributed ledgers out there. Um, but I also dabble in many other crypto circles. I've got to say this about, and I'm going to say it, I'm not even going to mince my words here, the Cardano community is by far at the forefront. You know, it, 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 it's the best community out there. Okay, there's disagreements and stuff like that, but in terms of zealousness and, um, yeah, you know, uh, passion, I've not seen anything that's really came close. Maybe the Bitcoin maxis a little bit, but other than that, and I actually think that, um, and I know I'm going a little bit off topic here, I really do think that Cardano is kind of the next step for what Bitcoin was trying to do. You know, it's kept the ethos very much, uh, and it's expanding on that with becoming more of an operating system than just a peer-to-peer -peer system. Um, there's a lot I, I can take from that, but I, I kind of want to go and start with how you guys are actually planning on backing it. So are you guys with the PEG just planning on holding dollars in a bank account, or are you going to do something where you incorporate treasuries like we've seen with other fiat-backed stablecoins? How, how's that looking? It gets a little tricky. So there's a couple of different stages that we, when we think about how this is going to evolve, you know, when you're small, when you're starting, 
you can't go and lay into treasuries. You end up the liquidity, just getting right? eaten by the bid ask spread, right? You also need to have um, you know good liquidity. That's not just you know treasuries are, are they're said to be very liquid, but they you know ask Silicon Valley Bank. They're certainly not price stable. If you if you have big big moves moment, in, yield, right? in yield, right? Yeah. So there's there's a lot to think about for this. So our plan is as we as we get started, we will be simply a deposit in a bank account. And then as we move, as we as we grow, outgrow deposit in the bank account. So, um, you know, most companies are, you know, when they have large corporate treasuries, they end up dividing it among a number of banks or they end up then moving into money market funds and we're dividing it into a number of money market funds. So we are going a similar route where as we start to outgrow one banking partner, then we will onboard additional ones. And as we start to outgrow banking partners, we will then onboard uh, money market funds and and try to stay in the most, the truly most liquid part of the investment uh, spectrum. So, in oh, say so that's in, an important piece, yeah. real quick, because it comes up a lot. So, with the FDIC insurance, um, having that spread across the multiple banks, that gives us more insurance than just that base two fifty. So that yeah. question does come up quite a bit. So. You need yeah, it, we'd right? like to. We have we have a couple of different partners that we've been been talking with, and you know, it's sort of a you know call us when you get there sort of response. They're, they're certainly keeping the door open uh, to, to to having us uh, onboarded as uh, as a party of for the for their for their bank and for their solution. But there are a couple of different ones that will divide your assets among a number of banks. And so, if you have say a million dollars, you can divide it into four different banks. And then really it's like one center, center centralized party that does the technology to divide it amongst the banks. But if any one of those banks were to fail, then you end up getting the FDIC insurance on your deposit amount. And so there are some out there that will go up to you know, $6 million or $7 million. Um, there are a couple that can go up to say $50 million. But the, the, the trick about using those services is every one of the banks that you work with within that structure needs to approve a crypto company <laughs> to yep. to be their partner. So so the, the options there get a little bit limited. So the first the first bit is going to be sort of spool your way up from being a a single bank to multi-bank to then money market funds and try to stay with the T plus zero type settlement instruments. And so if it's going to be commercial paper, then it's commercial paper. If it's going to be short dated treasuries, it's short dated treasuries. But this is the part of the business that I understand very much and the, the liquidity provision and liquidity needs of, uh, of a short duration investment, you'll need to be high, highly matched to the, to the investment products that you use. And so if we're going to have, you know, same day liquidity on USDM, then we're going to need to be able to be sure that the USDM reserve also has same day liquidity. So we're working through that process and we, we have, um, you know, very good partners that we've lined up to take care of that. Um, Earlier, you mentioned additional currencies, so that is also yes. on the roadmap. We would, you know, one of the one of the partners that we're working with is a USDC member bank, and so they will accept USDC into the reserve and convert it to fiat with a fifteen dollar charge per transaction. So it's a fairly simple, fairly cheap, um, you know, process to get from USDC into USDM, and so that's. Additionally, that's on the roadmap. You know, if we're going to start off. We're going to focus on dollars in, dollars out. We could 
very easily go from you know to USDC and USDC out. And then we could also then from there go into multi-currency and multi-currency out. Uh, probably just multi-currency in actually. <laughs> multi-currency out gets a little different. Nightmare. Um, yeah. But you know, but the banking partners we have are robust and, and then they're they're able to serve you know individuals that are onshore and offshore. And so we've got the right partnerships lined up. It's just a matter of us getting our licensing regimes in order so that we can then serve everybody everywhere. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense with the collateral. You know, that, that there isn't certainly on a smaller scale necessarily the need to move into things like treasuries and stuff like that. But ultimately, um, you know, money markets and stuff like that is potentially on the horizon, you know, certainly as you grow and and, and spread around banks. And in regards to the collateral that you guys will hold that will um, back the USDM, is there a Oracle solution that you guys are implementing Ah. to track this or or how, how, how does that work? Steve, you want to do this? Yeah. So we are working with Charlie three as our Oracle for our reserves. And that feed actually will be available on the chain. So everybody will be able to go and see what our, our reserves are. Unlike Tether and some of the other ones who got in trouble for not having the reserves they said that they have. Almost Ours banks. will be verifiable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ours will be verifiable on chain. Um, and that actually feeds into the smart contract to help us stay on track with what we can actually mint and burn. Um, so we have that verification from uh, from Charlie Three. Yeah, so I'm pretty excited about that. I absolutely love that. This this is the whole sort of thing with Web Three, isn't it? That you can actually verify for yourself um, in a decentralized manner. You know exactly what's going on, uh, and I, I I think that's brilliant. And I, I spoke with Damon from Charlie Three a number of times. Great guy, uh, very interesting yeah. and cool project. Um, yeah. So from a regulatory side of view, what 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 does that look like? How how have you guys actually um, got regulatory clarity where you've got it? You know, and I I, I think I um, had recently heard that you've actually got the same sort of regulatory, perhaps green light from uh, the same people that have given that green light to Circle. Yes, that's exactly what we've done. We have reached out to every state regulator except for New York because we know what the answer from New York is going to be. A hard no. Uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna waste our time just yet. It's it's expensive. The problem with New York is it's expensive. And just for collateral, you know, was it we expect was it a million or something? Get there. Yeah, wow. it's like yeah. it's crazy. And then you have to pay you know exorbitant fees. Uh and even then, I don't think you get the green light to work with retail. Um with the licenses that the, the bit license that they have. So it's kind of, it's weird. So we're, we're, we're looking at New York last, but the other, all the other ones we've reached out to, you know, 49 state regulators. We've reached out to the DC regulators, Puerto Rico and U S Virgin islands. And we've looked at all of these different jurisdictions individually to try and understand the laws and understand what needs to be done. And then we've reached out to, to have, have a dialogue with, with each of them. In some of the cases, you need to go ahead and apply for a license. I know this, like the state of Louisiana has a crypto license that you need to apply for. Um, many of the states treat this as though you were a money transmitter. So that means that so this is the same regulation that would say uh, if you're going to issue a gift card. Like I mentioned, this um, this kiosk in <laughs> in the city field uh, for the Mets game that that's a regulated activity. Is taking that taking that fiat and distributing an electronic gift card. And so those 
those regulators we've talked with, and that's the same sort of regulatory apparatus that we would be captured under, just like you can have electronic gift cards. The USDM is essentially an electronic gift card that uh, is traded on a blockchain or it's transferred on a blockchain. So when, when you really boil it down, the laws, even though the laws around cryptocurrencies are fairly vague, the laws, the, the rights that are given to project token holders are very vague or they're really, really non-existent in the US. The way you treat a fiat-backed stablecoin is, is fairly well understood. And so we've talked with, you know, we have we have the best attorneys, we have literally the guy that wrote the book on money transmitter law in the US is our attorney for the uh, you know for, for these 50 state regulators and for our international strategy. So we're trying to do things on an above board manner and really like that's appreciated by our, our banking partners. And that's also appreciated by the regulators themselves. I mean, they want to be involved in the process of understanding how we are gonna approach the citizens of their states and how we're gonna deal with them on a transparent and upfront basis. And so they really want to make sure that we're doing things. And we've had, um, you know, I think we're up to 12 states now where we're gonna launch USDM, that we've had productive dialogue with the state regulators and they've either given us um, you know, a path for regulation or they've given us um, exemptions to regulation that, that are to be in, uh, acceptable in those states. Um, I think it's important that we do it this way, not only because our partners expect it, but because our users need it. Our users need to have some kind of legally enforceable apparatus to hold us accountable. So, you know, there was there was a token earlier on that we had we had looked at. It was um, it was RUSD, redeemable red USD. Uh, they were that was a guy that was in, I believe, Spain who was trying to issue a fiat-backed stablecoin. So he he went from bank to bank and didn't really get very far. He had, maybe it was $50,000 of total TVL. And then when he decided to close the project, any of the issue, any of the individuals that had US, the RUSD, they weren't able to redeem it. I've got a thousand RUSD in my wallet right now, and it's totally worthless. There's no legal enforcement action for me to take against him. There's no ability for me to say, well, you you said this was going to be redeemable for dollars and now what's where's the dollars? So you need to make sure that you have a good legal framework to operate within. So not only so that you can operate and be and protect the team and protect yourself, but also you can protect the token holders and make sure that they are also able to hold everybody accountable. Yeah, I, I think people forget that because we see regulations used as a weapon often. Um, that actually regulations it, are there to to help yeah, people. Yeah. That's that's where it's it, the it consumer protection from. laws. It's Absolutely. it's covered under all the consumer protection laws in all the states. You know, so if you have a problem with the gift card that you bought, there's probably a phone number on the back or some kind of regulator that you can talk with that's got a direct line into the issuer that they can say, well, you said that, you know, so then they start building enforcement actions. And if, you, if these guys are acting bad, then that's the consequence. And, and it, it really, in the US, yeah, the laws against, you know, it was really a crypto native token, like ADA, Bitcoin, Ether, you know, any of the, 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 the true cryptocurrencies, it's a little weird, but it's consumer protection law. It's just natural stuff that needs to, needs to be sure that, that it's, um, you know, to be a, the, the state regulators want to protect their citizens, and they they've got good hearts, and they want to make sure that that they're not only able to be a part of innovation, but they're able to protect people 
in the process. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think there's a lot of projects out there that try and do traditional finance stuff, but what they do is they say, oh, it's crypto, and they try and get around it, even though it's kind of like, well, you know, there are certain things that you could argue um, against regulations for, um, but certainly, you know, sort of traditional products and things that are already offered, uh, certainly in somewhere like the United States, the, 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 there are clear areas with regulations in certain departments. However, crypto as a whole, I think, is in quite a gray area. And, and also what you mentioned about going to state regulators and some of them being very on board. Actually, that's a common theme. You'll find there is so uh, many regulators in the United States that are actually very for and on board with the crypto space. When people think about regulations, they just think about Gary Gensler um, in yeah. front of Congress, you know, refusing to answer whether Ethereum is a security or not. So it, yeah. it, it, it's absolutely um, fascinating and, and, and really encouraging that you guys have gone through the uh, right legal paths and are trying to do this properly, not just for your own benefit, but for the benefit of the consumers, the people that are going to be using USDM. So that's very, very um, encouraging. Before I ask you about timeline, um, because I think that's I'm, I'm sure people will be dying to know after this. What do you think the value of a fiat-backed stablecoin is to an ecosystem? And I'm happy for either one or both of you to to weigh in on this. I mean, I'll just say a little bit. I had a Catalyst Fund Nine project, and uh, that got funded. Aid bounties. That was a surprise. Um, but, and at that time, you know, we got paid, it was a dollar amount that you asked for fund 10 is a ADA amount. So I got a dollar amount and like, I was getting disbursements anywhere from like 44 cents to down to like 26 cents or whatever. So it's a huge change in the, in the amount of ADA that I got, even though the dollar amount was the same. And um, what I should have done is like my first payments that I got now converted it immediately because that was back like November. And it was, like I said, it was like 44 cents because in January to 31 cents. And so I already lost a nice chunk of that value because I held it. Uh, I didn't have expenses necessarily other than my time for the project at that point. But it, if I could have had USDM, at that point, and I could have converted it in the USDM with a minimal fee and not lost a couple thousand dollars um, by doing that. And so it gives projects a lot more stability. You know, if people are working for these projects and they want to get paid in crypto, they don't want to get paid in dollars. Like it gives them stability so we could pay you pay people in USDM. Um, it's just a lot easier, faster, uh, you know, they're already in the ecosystem if they want to do some other stuff with it. So it's, it is just a, a stability piece that I think the the space is just missing in general. So that's my like personal side of it. Like why I want to do this. I absolutely agree with yeah. everything you've said there. Matt, anything from you? I think we, we've said a lot already. Yeah. Broadly speaking, it's just a very useful tool. You can send dollars to people using blockchain solutions, right? I just had, before we started this call, I was on the phone with a travel agency in Dubai trying to book my hotel for the summit. And I was having a heck of a time getting the credit card approved because it was a suspicious charge. It was in a weird place in the world. It was obviously not where I was located. And so there was a very difficult process to send dollars to this travel agency. But if we'd just been able to do USDM, right? <laughs> we would have been able to just send it Problem in solved. one Cardano transaction, right? Problem solved. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I really want to move on to um, timeline. Um, so, so where's the project currently at? And I, I'm not asking for any this date 100 because I know that in this space that's neon impossible to you know you may get lucky and 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 uh, get things rocking and rolling on the exact date and the exact time. But what what's the sort of rough timeline? Where are you guys at currently? And where or how far are we off from launching? We so just from the tech the side. Yeah. I'll say, yeah, I'll just do the tech side real quick and then Matt can talk about the other stuff. Um, so I would, my goal is to push out another pre-prod demo by the end of October. Uh, I do, I still do have a day job. Um, you know, who knows how, how this goes? Maybe I won't anymore, but uh, I do have some trip uh, travel coming up. But my goal is a another pre-prod demo there'll be more functionality than what we had at rare evo uh, and there's a some other changes on the system so it's be a nice way for people to go in you know see that what we're actually building you know maybe we get a little more uh, interest in what we're doing because a lot of people still don't know which is interesting um, I know. and then yeah then for uh delivery the delivery goal is by the end of the year for mainnet oh, brilliant at least from the tech side so, so um, a nice christmas Mac gift yes <laughs> we'll we'll be on stage in dubai um so so i'll be on a panel with a couple of other stablecoin projects and um our cto our ceo jillian is uh, going to be on the stage for about 10 minutes to talk about mehen and where we're going and what it turns into what it might turn into over time well, you know, sort of the difference between working in the cypherpunk space and, and the regulated space. So we'd like to do sort of that, um, the actual hard data announcement at that point. But like Steve said, we should be ready to go into year. Yeah, brilliant. Really looking forward to it. And of course, <laughs> you are going to be um, at the summit. So that's really something to look forward to. I'm looking forward to a lot of what comes out of the summit and certainly in regards to Mihan. Uh, you know, this announcement that is kind of the pre-announcement um, that we're getting right now. But the, the the last thing really for me to, to to ask you guys is if people want to find out more about the project, they want to find out more about how things are going, stay up to date, what's the best way for them to do that? And of course, we'll leave links in the description. The, the socials are great. Mihen official on Twitter. Uh, Discord is discord.gg slash Mihen. The website mihen.io. Those are all very, very acceptable um, or very available ways to get to get a hold of us. I'm, I'm. Uh, There's a newsletter on the website as yeah, well. Yeah, sign up for the news. Sign up for the newsletter. You get the first, first news in the newsletter. First news in the Discord, and then in the newsletter. So that's the best place to get us. So Discord, which we'll leave a link to in the description. Of course, we'll leave a link to your website. Um, we'll leave a link to Twitter feeds everything in the description on where people can find out more if they want to do a little bit more uh, diving and make sure you guys follow along on Twitter. If you can get in the Discord, get in the... D D people don't utilize Discords enough. That The alpha that you get in Discords is... I mean, Twitter's amazing. It's both the worst and the best place to get information. But Discords <laughs> are uh, phenomenal, certainly if you're interested in a project. So we'll leave a link to everything um, in the description in regards to where people can find you guys and, and, and what you're doing and follow along. Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I really do appreciate both of your time coming on the show. 
Um, and I'm sure this is going to be warmly received and hopefully we can have you back on very soon. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate, appreciate the opportunity. It. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right.